little lost as that gets going, it, and then it, then it gets to the point. But as a furniture maker that doesn't make furniture is ridiculous, so a Christian that is not committed to the mission that Jesus gave his church is a little bit ridiculous. As a furniture maker that doesn't make furniture, or a sailor that doesn't go to sea, or a fish that doesn't swim, or a boat that doesn't float, so a Christian not committed to the mission of the church doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense at all. We are in a series here looking at the church. And it's titled The Church, Cruise Ship or Battleship. What kind of a church are we supposed to be? How has God intended his church to function? And the church has a very, very specific mission to do. But honestly, at least in the United States, the American church has done a very, very poor job of carrying out that mission. In general, the American church has adopted more of a cruise ship church life. And that's what these represent, cruise ships. So uh, for those adults that don't swim too well, you can put these on when you jump into the pool. But a, the, the idea in a cruise ship is that you're there for you. We talked about this some last week. On a cruise ship, you're having your needs met. You go to the shows you want to go to. You eat all the food you want to eat. It's, it's about you. And often in the church, we make it about us as well. We go, are there the programs that I want in the church? Uh, is the music what I like? Is the, is the music pastor Gabby enough for me? Um, <laughs> is, is it what I want? Does it fit my needs? Which those aren't all bad, just so you know. I'm not, I'm not dissing all those questions. But the other side is more of a, a battleship church life. Is the church maybe supposed to be more like a battleship? This is a a Navy helmet. This helmet was uh, flown on an A-7 with over 700 carrier landings. A battleship or a, a aircraft carrier, which we've talked some about that. I've talked to some of those involved in the military. Very different life on a battleship or on an aircraft carrier. You're there and you're focused on the mission. Last week, I had, I had some people share at the beginning, you know, what is it like on a cruise ship and what is it like on a, a Navy ship? And I had some responses that surprised me. One of those was lonely. I thought, that's, that's not what I'm going for, but interesting. And, but later, I was asking my father-in-law, who was on a ship, I said, you know, here's one of the responses I, I heard was, was lonely. I said, you're on this ship on mission together. Why would you be lonely? He said, you work so much um, and really you don't connect with those people and, and think about the Christian life, if an individual, you or I, is committed to the mission of God, then we're thrust into the world, it can be very lonely. Uh, I thought about a high school student. You high school students in Carson High or Douglas High, it can be lonely if you're going to be a Christian in that environment. Um, but a battleship church life is about each person playing their part committed to the mission of the whole. And that's a mission that God has given, that Jesus has given to the church. Now, last week, we, we started this series and we answered the first part of that question. What is the mission of the church? And last week, we really, we wanted to touch on the heart first. And the heart of it is this. What is a healthy church? A healthy church is a congregation that increasingly reflects God's character as his character has been revealed in his word. That's what a healthy church is. A healthy church is increasingly reflecting God's character. Or we can say it this way, increasingly looking like Jesus. 
Because Jesus, when he was on earth, he was the exact representation of the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at what Jesus is like, and you'll find that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So study those books, and you'll see what Jesus is like. Then you'll see what we should look like individually and corporately. And so that's how we can measure our health is, are we increasingly looking like God? But there's also a more specific mission. And and maybe you've been here, you know what it is. Maybe you're sitting there going, get to the point. But the specific mission is found in Matthew 28. So turn there with me, please. Matthew 28. Do we have a page number? Yeah. Page 487. If you need a Bible, grab one. Dylan, there's one right under you. There you go. (laughs) Grab that and turn to page 487. And we're going to see in Matthew. Now, we're going to see here this mission, and it's found in every gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We recently finished the book of John, and we saw it in the book of John. We actually talked about it for two weeks. But here, this Matthew passage, I think is maybe the most direct and helpful commission or mission given. And so that's why we have titled this this lesson today, Mission Directives from the Commander. See, very battleship sounding, not like a cruise ship. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority on earth has been given, on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father in heaven, holy is your name. You are far beyond us, but you love us. Holy Spirit, you are present here with us. We've asked you to be present here with us. We've asked you to do what only you can do, that you would stir in us a passion for Jesus, that you would help us get to know you more intellectually and then also experientially. We would experience you and we would experience the the love, the peace, the joy, and the purpose that comes with the mission you've given us. I pray that you would lead us, that as a church, we would never go a direction that's not your direction, that we would never try and take a step in front of you, that we would simply follow you. You want to do great things. God, I thank you for what you're already doing here at Common Ground and also in Carson City and Douglas County. I thank you for the people that are coming to know you. I thank you for the churches that are faithfully preaching your word. And I pray that that would grow, that you would send workers into the harvest and that you would use us for your glory. We love you. Jesus' name, amen. So as you look at these verses, specifically verse 19, what is the very specific mission that God has given the church? He says, go make disciples. The primary mission of the church is to make disciples. It's that simple. If we are increasingly revealing the character of God to the world, then we will be increasingly making disciples. Jesus said all over in the the gospels about, he talked about his mission. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. He said, I desire none to be lost, but for all to come to repentance. That's why he came. And then he sends them. In John, we said, he, he, he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And here he outlines what that sending is. He says, go make disciples. As a furniture maker that doesn't make furniture is ridiculous. A Christian who has no desire to make disciples doesn't line up. Now, don't feel guilty. 
Don't, don't wallow in, I'm being judged right now. That's not the point. But we do want to take an honest look. Are we making disciples? Are we engaged in the mission that Jesus gave the church? Now, the question is, what is a disciple? Because we might think in this day and age, a disciple is some weird cultish thing. Um, and, and we don't want to be labeled as that. But Jesus uses the word, so it's a good word, disciple. In the first century, here's what a disciple was. It was a person who would link themselves to a teacher, a rabbi, and they would learn from that teacher to become like that teacher. They would follow. They would leave their family. They would follow this teacher. They would leave whatever job they might have had. They would follow this teacher. So a disciple, uh, Luke 640 says it this way. Jesus says, a student is not above the teacher, but when they are fully trained, they will be like the teacher. So a disciple is one following Jesus to become more like Jesus. A disciple is one who abandons all to follow Jesus. As you read the gospels, as you look through, you'll see people come up to Jesus and go, I want to follow you. He's like, great, follow me. He said, but first I need to go do this. He said, no, you follow me first. Or, or a rich man comes and says, I'll follow you. He says, okay, go sell everything you have and follow me. No, I don't want to do that. Jesus must take first priority in a disciple's life. In your and my life, Jesus must, must take first priority. That is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. One who abandons all to follow Jesus. We get some other insight in Colossians and Timothy as, as we see instruction for how are we to operate as a church. Um, in 1 Timothy 1.5, Timothy is getting a letter from Paul. And Paul is teaching this young pastor what, what you're supposed to do. So teaching is part of, it's always been part of the church up here, sermons, things like that. It's not new. And he said, the goal of our instruction, so this would apply to, to our instruction here. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the goal of this is really love. A disciple is going to follow Jesus, become more like Jesus. And when we know that we are really revealing God's character, it will be shown in love, which means when, when the bum comes in off the street, it's not judgment that fills us, but hopefully grace, pity, uh, maybe not pity, but mercy, love, that those things are what fill us as we are like Jesus. Uh, in Colossians 1, 28 to 29, the same author, Paul says, we proclaim him, speaking of Jesus. This is what we do as a church. We proclaim Jesus, not common ground. We don't say common ground's awesome. Uh, we, we say Jesus is awesome. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that, so why do we teach? Why do we do this? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul says, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul worked hard to see others matured. That word there, complete, can also be called mature. So the goal is to be a disciple and to make disciples that are loving like Jesus loves, that are mature. What does that look like? Here's what I would say a mature disciple looks like. A mature disciple is a Jesus follower who consistently does the right thing at the right time with the right motives. You notice how religion doesn't fit in that? It's not going to church and reading your, it's not doing all these things to be right with God because you're already right with God. So then it's him living through you to consistently do the right thing at the right time. That's wisdom with the right motives. That means it's Jesus in our heart. So that's, that's our goal. Will we be perfect? We, we won't. 
And it's, it's okay to acknowledge that. We're still humans. We're still in flesh. We won't arrive. Paul even wrote in Romans, he says, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't gotten there. There's times I do what I don't want to do. And there's times, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I do want to do. And I don't, and I don't understand why I'm not doing what I want to do. And it gets kind of confusing. But the point is we, we don't arrive but we are progressively growing. It's called sanctification. Hopefully, we are increasingly revealing God's character to the world. This is what a disciple is. Jesus doesn't say, go make converts. Jesus does not care about our, the, the notches in our belt of how many people we can get to pray the prayer. He doesn't care about that. Jesus never cared about a crowd. He doesn't care how many people you can pack into a church building on a Sunday. He doesn't care. What he cares about is disciples, people following people growing in love and adoration of him. That's what he wants. Go make disciples. A battleship church is not a come and see church. A battleship church isn't, isn't a church where you come and you sit and you enjoy the music and then go home and do nothing. A battleship church is a, is a go and show church. We come, and next week, by the way, Paul's super excited and so am I, because next week we do talk about this gathering. Why should we gather? Why do it? But the church isn't a building, it's not a place, it's a people. And so we're the church when we leave here and we go. And so we gather for a purpose, that's next week, and we go for a purpose. And that purpose is to make disciples. We have the greatest news in the history of the world. Can a battleship or an aircraft carrier choose its own mission? Maybe you've heard this, I've heard this. I've heard people say, you know, I... I, I love God, but I'm just not interested in organized religion. I don't like the church. Well, God's plan is the church, so there's kind of a problem with that. Or, or those who say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I just keep it to myself. My mission isn't to tell anybody. My, you know, my mission is to do something else. Are we free to choose our mission? Is a battleship free to choose its mission? Right now, uh, the, the Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier and all the accompanying battle crew is now in the South China Seas. And there's a lot going on in the South China Seas. Down there right now, we've got North Korea to worry about. We've got China trying to take control of certain islands that they've made in international water. I mean, there's some stuff there going on. And this aircraft carrier, the Ronald Reagan, is there. And their mission is kind of twofold. They have two right there dealing with those islands and watching China. And then dealing, obviously, with North Korea. If they do something, who's going to respond? It's going to be that aircraft carrier. as fat, And it's accompanying warships. They're going to respond. That's their mission. They can't go, you know what? Let's take a weekend in Thailand. <laughs> it's so close. Let's just go, let's go relax. Let's take our shoes off. Or on that ship, you can't have a handful of the crew just go, you know what? We're just going to take today off. Let's go for a swim. <laughs> let's go snorkeling over there. I don't know if there's good snorkeling down there, but they're not free to choose their mission. Just like we're not free. We're not free to choose our own mission. We've been given our mission by the commander, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and he says, go make disciples. He says in verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, of all nations. So this command was first given in Judea, mostly to Jews. It was, this was given all to Jews in Jerusalem, in that area. And he said, I want this to spread. This isn't just for you. Go to all nations. The point is that we are to cross cultural boundaries with the good news. Do you know that, that now the United States is the recipient of many missionaries? There are foreign missionaries coming to the United States. The, the country that used to be the greatest sender of missionaries is now receiving missionaries, and I'm grateful for that. 
but I would love for us to step up and be those missionaries. I would like to see us take ownership of Carson City and and, and Douglas County and and anywhere we own. This is our neighbors. We love them. We will share with them. So we are missionaries. But then I'd like to see us, I think biblically here, take responsibility worldwide that we will cross cultural boundaries. We will go to Burkina Faso. You're wearing the shirt, Zach. We will go to Burkina Faso and, and drill wells and help set up churches so that they, the Muslims there, can come to know true faith in the true Lord Jesus and find life. So we cross cultural boundaries with the good news. What else do we do? So here's the mission. It says, go make disciples. We see what that means. Making a disciple means taking them from lost, not knowing Jesus, to knowing Jesus, to growing in Jesus, make disciples of all nations. Then he says, baptizing them, baptizing them. Why? When Peter uh, was asked, you know, he gave a good sermon. People said, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized. Why would he tell him to be baptized? Baptism biblically is, is immersion in water. I mean, and you, can, you can debate that and who cares so much? It's sprinkling, immersion. But, but typically when you see it in the New Testament, somebody is, is dunked in, in water. Um, and when we do it, we say died with Christ, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is a symbolic act outward of what happened inward. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Part of confessing with your mouth is being baptized, telling everybody, Jesus is my Lord. You get baptized, and it's a celebration of new life, new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, says, you must be born again. And so when we give our life to Jesus for the first time, we are born again, a new, a new person, a new creation, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. And so we're baptized to show that new life, to celebrate that new life, and to be incorporated into the church. In the first century, if a Jew got baptized into Christianity, they were kicked out of their family. They might have lost their job. It was a big deal. So for a, a Jew in the first century to get baptized, they were, I mean, it was a, a difficult thing. It could be a scary thing. There's places in the world right now where if people get baptized, it can be scary. I, I, there's a, it was a Jewish man, no, not a Jewish man, a Muslim man who came to know Christ. I'm tr- I don't even remember where I heard this story, but it was in the last year he came to know Christ and the missionary that, that converted him baptized him in the bathtub. Um, he's like, I must get baptized, but we can't really do it on the street because they'll kill me there. So he got baptized in the tub, um, but it, it wasn't, pri- you know, he wasn't trying to keep it totally private, but there's a danger. There was a danger and there is elsewhere in being baptized because it's recognizing with the Christian church as described in the Bible, the biblical church with Jesus as Lord. So when we baptize we are committing also to the church and its mission. So if you're here and maybe this is the first time you've connected with the church, the first time you're growing and say God moves you to another state, guess what? You're still part of the church. You've been baptized into the church. You don't get baptized again into that church, but you find a church there on, and you join and you're still part of the church. So, whoa. So we, we believe and we be baptized. Now, we do two things, two sacraments in the church. Baptism is the first, and then the Lord's Supper is the second. So we take communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we take communion. But baptism is the other one. I've had people ask, can you uh, be a Christian and not be baptized? You know, is baptism part of salvation? And it's not. Remember, Jesus died on the cross, and the thief next to him 
placed his faith in him, and Jesus said, today you will be with you, me in paradise. He didn't say, run and get some water quick, dunk this guy. He, he, he wound up in heaven. But, but if you're not on the cross next to Jesus when you profess your faith, why wouldn't you obey? Because being a disciple is a follower that follows Jesus and does what he says. The first thing he tells the believer to do is get baptized. So if someone is unwilling to get baptized, there may be a question of genuine faith there. There was a young man, we were doing a baptism, and he had placed his faith in Jesus. And I said, are you going to get baptized? He's like, I don't really want to. I said, why not? He tells you to. Do you want to be obedient and love in response to him or not? And finally, he, he did, I guilted him enough that he went and did it. Um, not really. But, he, but understanding, if you're not willing to obey in that, why not? And you need to look at that. And then, hopefully, get baptized. So baptizing them, here's the next part. In the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them into truth. I would say their doctrinal purity. There is a truth there of who God is. Three persons in one God, Trinity. It's important what we teach. It's important what we learn in accordance with truth. Jesus said, those who, God is spirit, and so those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. So we're baptized, and then we, we grow in what's actually true. I skipped, uh, if you're a note taker, I skipped this, sorry. But it said, our faith is extremely personal, but it's not private. That's part of baptism. Our, our faith is personal, but it's not private. But then what do we do? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. A great part of discipleship is learning, learning what the Bible says. And Jesus says, teach them all that I commanded you. That's a lot. There's a lot in here that we're to teach and learn. That's why it's a lifelong learning process. We as disciples are lifelong learners, growing, changing. Uh, there's times where, you know, I'll read something that I've read a million times, maybe not a million, a thousand. And, and then it hits me in a different way. And, and the Holy Spirit reveals something in me that needs to change that he didn't re reveal before because I wasn't ready. But we're lifelong learners going to the word, letting him change us. A disciple is following. And he says, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. One of those things he's commanded disciples is to make disciples. So it includes this commandment right here. Go make disciples. Making disciples isn't just for pastors or missionaries or just the real gung-ho Christians. It's for every believer. Each one of us has a responsibility to make disciples. And it may look different. It will look different for each of us. You know, maybe for some of us, it's over there teaching Sunday school. That's a big deal. <laughs> That's a huge deal. Maybe for some of us, it is going with the Dream Center and, and helping out, you know, the homeless and looking for opportunities to speak. It looks different ways. But here's, here's something I wanted to, to really emphasize as we look at this. Discipleship is life change. The church is about life change, becoming like Jesus. We are not interested in doing church. Uh, in all honesty, we are not interested at all in building a big group of people. We are interested in life change. People getting free from their addictions, marriages being healed, all because of Jesus, because of coming to know Jesus and experiencing his peace. We are interested in people going through times of difficulty with faith. 
because they know they can trust Jesus. That's the stuff that we're interested in. Not how many people show up on a Sunday. <laughs> not, not how many people we can fill out a card. Life change. And so you as a disciple maker, look at it that way. Now you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple maker. Are you interested in the life change of others? That's your primary mission. Whether you're a contractor, whether you're a cafeteria lady, whatever it is, your primary mission is seeing other people's life change to become more like Jesus. That's our mission, to make disciples. This is the target. The target on the wall. Uh, when we first started Common Ground, one of the things we sat down is we wrote down measures of success. How do we know we're doing what God wants us to do? And so we wanted to write these things down so that we can have a target on the wall, a goal. And we said, stories of life change is one of them. If we go very long without hearing stories of God working in somebody's life, that's a problem. Reproduction, meaning people coming to know Christ. If we go very long without seeing people come to know Christ, that's a problem. And then reproduction, not children, um, although that's cool too. <laughs> reproduction as in disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. We, want to see, we know that we cannot serve Carson City all by ourselves. We need to see other churches planted in communities that will serve those communities. So we need a goal, a target. Uh, I'm coaching 12U, uh, U12, U12, girls soccer. So I'm coaching girls soccer. Um, I'm going to play Brian's team in a couple weeks. That'll be fun. You should all come and cheer for us. <laughs> um, but I'm coaching girls soccer. And so I've got 12, you know, Little girls and uh, at all different levels of, of experience, and we have our first game on Tuesday. And imagine you came out and you watched these girls play soccer, and they were good because we're working on ball skill. Uh, Brian, do this for a minute. Um, <laughs> you know, we're working on how to do the ball. We're working on passing. Imagine you came and you saw, and these girls were just awesome. They could do the back roll and they could do these tricks and they could flip it over their head and then they make another pass. And so the goalie gets the ball and he rolls it over. She rolls it over and the, the fullback taps it and passes it all the way across the field. Halfback gets it, boop, 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 does some tricks. Somebody comes in. Oh, thank you. <laughs> passes it back across. The forward sprints up. Great pass to the forward right in the middle. And they turn around and go the other way. What would you think? Like, wow, they're real skilled, but that's not soccer. They're not taking any shots on goal. The, the goal in soccer is to put the ball in the net. The goal isn't to do tricky things with your feet. The goal isn't to make awesome passes. Those things help with the ultimate goal, but the ultimate goal is the goal, to put the ball in the goal. Now, soccer's not all that fun to watch because you only get like two of those a game or so. Um, but so think about football. You, you get the ball in the end zone, right? That's the goal, points on the board. What is our goal as Christians? One, it's to be more like Jesus. We can't skip over that. We looked at that last week, to display God's character to the world around us. The second, our primary mission is to make disciples. That's the goal. And as we look at the state of the American church, it's a scary thing that the average church will see one conversion per year per every 51 people that attend. One to 50, look at that ratio, one to 51. How can a, a, a church feel comfortable with their Christian life and see two baptisms a year and they have a, a church of 350, 400 people attending every week? This is a normal picture. And I talk to pastors of these churches and, and they're frustrated by it. And some of them, they go, I don't know what to do about it. We want to go, we want to see these things, but we get so comfortable, it's a cruise ship. Oh, I did drop one. That's what you were talking about. The, the cruise ship church life is we get so comfortable. We got comfy seats. 
We got good coffee. Don't forget it. You know, and, and that's, those are good things, but we get comfortable. And then we're asked to do something out of our comfort zone. Join a small group. That's out of my comfort zone. Um, go on a short-term missions trip. That's out of my comfort. I want to be comfortable. I've heard Christians that have been Christians a long time say, I don't need to share my faith because I don't have the gift of evangelism. I said, well, you need to read the New Testament. All of us are called to be a witness. Jesus said it this way, you must witness. He said, when you go, you must witness. It's not optional. And so here's our mission. Do we get it? (laughs) Our mission is to make disciples. Picture this. We We have some parents in here parents of teenagers. You have a son and a daughter. It's summer, so they're home from school. They don't have jobs. And and you go to work early in the morning and you say, son, daughter, I want you to clean your rooms today. And you go off to work. (laughs) I see parents looking at kids. You come home late that day. You sit down to dinner and you go, hey, how did the, the room cleaning go? And both kids get all excited. They're like, okay, well, when you left, we sat down. We said, you know, what did he mean? Clean your room." And so, so we got thinking, we weren't quite sure. You said, clean your room. And so, so we studied a little bit um, and, and we found out that the word for clean in Latin is actually a bluo. And so we tried to see what other uses you could, you could use for a bluo. And then uh, your daughter speaks up. She's like, I, I grabbed a, a, a dictionary and a thesaurus and I looked up clean and all the synonyms. Now, did you know that clean, it can be a verb? but it can also be an adverb or an adjective. And so we were trying to figure out what you meant when you, when you said clean. Um, and we couldn't nail it down, so we called some friends, and we had a small group. And in the small group, we talked about cleaning your room. So we talked about cleaners. You know, we had a debate over which vacuum, you know, Rainbow or Kirby. Um, we talked about, what, what, you know, how to polish. Uh, we talked to the small, it was a lot of fun. And then your son runs off and he comes back with his guitar. He's like, I wrote a song about cleaning your room. You want to hear any, and he starts singing a song. And finally you're fed up, right? And you go, did you clean your room? So like, well, we'll get to it. <laughs> would that make you happy? W- w- would you be honored with the obedience of your kids? That's, that's a, a stretch, but the church often gets together, sings songs, gets together and talks about the Bible. Hee hee. <laughs> and does church things without going. And so it's not, you think God's happy with that? When he gives us one primary mission, go make disciples. We say, we'd rather stay in the church bubble. And we can. The church bubble is a great place to be. Sheltered. I was talking to somebody recently who said, you know, uh, I was asked to be involved in this or something in a kid's sport, but I couldn't because we go to church on Wednesdays and we go on Fridays. And my kids are in a a private school so that they don't have to be with all those other kids at the other school. Um, And he was just talking about how great it is basically to just be surrounded by Christians. I thought, man, that's not our mission. (laughs) It's great to be here. That's why we gather here. That's part of it. We'll talk about that next week. But that's not our mission. Our mission isn't to be comfortable with one another. Our mission is to get uncomfortable and see God change the world. That's our mission, to make disciples. Success is not measured by busyness. Because we can easily do that. When I talk to people, how are you doing spiritually? Well, I go to this Bible study and that Bible study and that. And often people list the things that they do. But are we being transformed to be like Jesus? And are we committed to helping others be transformed to look like Jesus also? Now, how do we go? 
because we can often make this more difficult than it needs to be. And maybe some of us are sitting here feeling a little bit guilty, and that's not the point. But I want us to look at how we go make disciples. And there's a couple things that we notice. And here's the first one that I want us to draw out. The first one is really the motivation because we can feel guilty because Derek elaborates on this today and go out and try harder. But really, that's not our motivation. What's our motivation? Look at the the first verse and the last verse. How does Jesus bracket this command? He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's how it starts. Jesus has the authority. And then at the very end, he says, oh, and by the way, I will be with you to the end. So he says, go, my authority, and I'm going with you. We talked about this when we saw in John where, where Jesus breathed on his disciples. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And Jesus never said his sending was done. Jesus is still on mission, but now it's in and through us. So we go in his power, in his authority, with his presence. We know this. We know, I know, I cannot change somebody's life, but the Holy Spirit can. Anything of value that God does in anywhere is going to be him doing it. It's not going to be us with our creativity or our hard work. So how do we go? We go in dependence on him. We go abiding in him. We don't go to earn. We go in response to his love. That's how we go. We go in dependence upon Jesus and his power, his authority, and his presence. That's how we go. And the motivation is we have been saved. In the New Testament, we see the the person who has been forgiven forgives much. We go because we've received. Imagine you were on an airplane. And this airplane crashes into a lake and it's sinking and you just cannot get your seatbelt undone. You know, and you're in the front of the plane, you're one of the first ones going under and and you're trying to get a breath and you take the biggest breath and you go under the water and you're pulling and you're about to die. And then you feel a strong arm come and just rip the belt and grab you and pull you out and take you to shore and plop you there. But the, the airplane's still sinking. Would you then... Spit up the water you got there, relax, realize you're still strong, you feel good, now you got your breath back, the fresh air is life-giving, and then get a chair and watch it sink? (laughs) Or would you dive in? Would you dive back in and go and help as as that strong man then rips the belts, you help bring them to shore in cooperation with that strong man? That's what we would do, right? We would bring them to shore and then hopefully they would catch their wind and then they would dive back in. That's, That's how we go. We go, and that's our motivation because he did it for us. We want others to experience that too. Paul kind of talked about that. When we get our life changed, it's amazing. We just, we can't, can't contain it. We, we have to share that with others like a great purse. <laughs> so that's the first thing is we go in dependence on him. We go in response to his love for us. But when he says go make disciples, he's literally saying as you go. And this is important because it doesn't mean we're adding something else to our calendar. Sometimes we do, but not primarily. When I was in college, I was on the evangelism team for a while. And we would go down to the boardwalk and find strangers to start conversations and share Jesus. And that's great for some. That's not great for me. (laughs) You you know, um, that wasn't the best for me, maybe for some. But the best is as you go, as you go where you live, where you work, and where you play. Who do you already have contact with? I think that's what Jesus means. As you go, make disciples. You have a job. When you go there, there's people around you. 
Are you caring about them or are you just focused on your job? As you go soccer, you know, as a, as a coach, as a parent, and your kids are playing sports, there's other parents standing around. Do you bring a book and hide in a corner? Or is that your opportunity to get to know some of the others? Maybe find out some needs and show up for them. As we go, where we work, where we live, and where we play, we make disciples as we go about our daily lives, where we live, work, and play. As we go. And I could tell you the examples. As I sit here and I look, there's people in here because a neighbor cared about the neighbor. And now that neighbor comes and gets saved. There's people in here because one person is going to Office Depot and making copies and being a pleasant person. <laughs> and the person behind the table decides they're going to come try out church and they grow in Christ. There's others where a coworker invites a coworker to come to church and then that person ends up getting saved. These are all stories right here in this room right now. There are those in here because a fourth grader invites her friend at school to come to church and the whole family comes and experiences good things. <laughs> that's, that's it. It's, it's as we go. And so my question is, as we're wrapping up is where do you already have influence? Who do you already have in your life? I'm, we're not asking you to, to add something to your schedule here. But who, where do you already have influence? Here's our first, we're going to uh, apply this. If you're a note taker and you're doing it on your phone, there's a spot on the bottom where you can write notes. I want you to write in there. If you're a note taker, pull that out. But I want you to write, where do you have influence on people? Where is it? Is it your work? Maybe even jot down a couple names and go, you know what? This is who I think God wants me to, to reach as I go. Maybe, maybe, uh, you're in real estate. People move into town. Guess what? People that move into town need a church. There's another story from in this room. Where do you have influence? Are you a teacher? You have students. You have other teachers. I know you have to be careful in, in government stuff. You have to be careful kind of in any job. But you have influence. Are you going to school? Some of you. Who's in your classes? Are you in a, a special club? Where has God already given you influence? that you can take advantage of. And maybe you already are, or maybe it's time to take advantage of those opportunities. So there's our first. And here's our, our second to-do. We, like to, we like to end with some to-dos. Here's our second to-do. What we wanna do is we wanna pray for our small group leaders. Our groups are, are launching, some are launching this week, some next week. But we call them outpost groups. The reason we call them outpost groups is community group sounds like church bubble. <laughs> small group, yeah, that's a fine term, but we like the word outpost because it gives us the idea that our groups gather in a, in a home, in a community, and their job is that community. They want to be an outpost. They want to reach that community. And so we want to pray for our small group leaders, our outpost group leaders. And we're praying for them because we know that, that this mission, Satan's going to come against us. Um, and so we want protection on them, but also insight and wisdom to love, to, to guide, but then also prayer for the whole group, for those who are going to be in. We have, listen to this, we have 80 adults currently planning to be in groups starting this week and next week. 80 adults. Do you know how big that is? That's a big deal. We had 114 people here last weekend. 80 adults in groups. It's a little bit heavy because there's a responsibility. You know what that tells me? That tells me God is saying, I want to use you guys. <laughs> that, that isn't God saying, Derek, I want to use you. That's, that's God saying, I want to use you. <laughs> you guys have committed to be in these groups. And it gives me chills because it's so exciting that we have three groups in Carson. We have three groups down in Douglas. 
And they're going to be placed in communities to reach those communities. Already one group that hasn't even started yet, they start this week, they invited a neighbor from down the street to come to the group. Well, they came a week early. So this week, they showed up. Well, guess what? That was an opportunity. So they, as they go, they just knocked on our door a week early. Guess what? Let's hang out. So this is maybe going to be awkward for some of you. If you are a small group, an outpost group leader, would you please stand? Outpost group leader or host... And I know who you are, so you can't, you can't stay seated. You too. <laughs> now, first off, I, I want to thank all of those who have committed to be in groups. And I want to thank those who are hosting and, and who are facilitating groups. This is really a big deal. And so we're going to have a, a, a short time here of praying for those that are standing. And if you're close to them, this is really weird. It's okay to put your hand on them. Or if you want to move to put your hand on them, that's okay too. But our goal is to make disciples. Here at Common Ground, our primary way of obeying this is in our groups. That's why we don't have a lot of programs. Because we think life change best takes place in community around the word, around the Bible. And so these are community groups. Yes, they are small groups. Yes, they are outpost groups. And so let's pray. And I'm going to ask you, pray as you feel led. If the Holy Spirit leads you to pray for these leaders and for the groups in general and for Carson City, pray. And if you pray, please pray loud and don't be too long. <laughs> but but, but let's, let's pray. Let's pray for these leaders. Let's pray for this group. And uh, Paul will close us.